So just like every episode, I'm extremely excited, but I'm super excited here today because we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. Um, We are joined here by Dr. Binta Jalo, who is an expert and has a PhD in genetics and molecular biology. So she's going to be talking about science. And so for you out there listening, you're going to be like, okay, this is a podcast for business professionals. What does science have to do with it? But if you've listened to my past episodes, you know that I'm a science buff. I love science because the more we know about science, the more we know about ourselves and how the world works. And we use that to impact our business because remember, business is an emotional game. It's all about you as an individual. And I'm excited to have Dr. Binta here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pradeep. I'm very excited to to talk about science. I love science. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. We're gonna be yeah, we're gonna be doing a lot of laughing and smiling out there for <laughs> for for people who can't see us and you're just tuning in from an audio perspective. Um, the one thing I appreciate about uh, Dr. Binta the most is that she smiles a lot and she laughs a lot. So every time I get on a call with her, it's it's always a great conversation. But Uh, Dr. Binta, I want you to maybe give a quick background in terms of who you are, where you came from, and what you are focused on now. All right. So um, I was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa. So I am Fulani by by nature. And um, I am currently a scientist at the National Institute of Health, where I basically do basic research. And before coming to the National Institute of Health, I was uh, a graduate student earning my PhD in genetics from Emory University. So I've always been interested in biology, but mostly in genetics, how we we look, what makes us tick, why do we like different foods and things like that. So my trajectory towards science and getting a, a PhD in, in genetics was inevitable B- yeah, based, I- on, based on who I am and where I came from. <laughs> So you are a very aspirational uh, individual here, and I think it's it's great for you to be on the show, and I think it's important for people to listen to this because we're, we're going to break some myths out there when it comes to genetics. And one of the biggest things, I think, one of the reasons why, or one of the things that I want to get the audience to to get the point of here is that we have a lot more control over ourselves than we think. Right. Yes. And a lot, of, a lot of people out there are thinking, well, it's just my genetics or I was born this way or this is my luck. Um, whether they get a disease or something doesn't work out well in their life. Um, Dr. Binta is here to tell you and give you the real scientific background in terms of what the reality is, how science really works, especially when it comes to your genetics. So please tune in. Yes. Um, so it's, it's going to be a shock for most people when I say you cannot blame your genetics for everything. <laughs> My family members, my mom specifically, she's like, you know, I always get this at this part time of the year because my mother had it and my sister had it and my aunt had it. So so she's conditioned herself to 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 think that her health and her particular behavior is due to genetics, but it's not. It's what we think about and it's our environment around that. So so I was very interested in a particular branch of science when I was getting my PhD called epigenetics. And epigenetics describes all the things that acts on our genetic. If you break down the word epi means above and then genetics. So everything that influences our genetics is acting on our genetics. It's environmental, mental um, attitude, mental aspects about certain things, our diets, 
And we don't even think about most of those things. We don't even realize we our genetics have been impacted since we were in utero inside our mother's wombs. That's why in some cultures, when women are pregnant, they're setting a specific clean area, you know, very peaceful music and surroundings, no extra noise or things like that. Because these individuals realize that that baby, that developing baby in the mother's womb requires the appropriate environment to, to actually develop into a happy and healthy individual. And unfortunately for many of us, we don't know this, but only 2% of our genetics can be associated or linked directly to a specific disease or a specific disorder or a specific condition. The other 98% is our environment. Can you, can you say that again? So for guys out there that are listening, people out there listening saying, oh, I have heart disease because it runs in my family, or I have this because it runs in my family. Right. Please, please repeat that for them. So, so for, for 98% of the diseases and disorders and traits that we have that we think runs from our family is actually due to our environment. And only 2%, about 2%, of, of diseases and, and, and disorders that are linked to genetics are caused by our genetics that we inherit from our parents. And it's not even two, it's about 2%. So it's like 1.8%. And, and this percentage uh, is an estimate, but scientists and researchers have, have known about this for, for a long time. And one book that I would refer to from getting this data is a book by... Um, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote The Biology of Belief, and he goes into detail about some of these misconceptions that we have. And as a biologist and a geneticist, I, I read some of those books while I was in graduate school. And so and so we we know scientifically that you can look at two identical twins with the same DNA from mom and dad, right? depending on where they grow up and what they eat, what music they listen to, how they react to their environment, they can, they can manifest very different diseases or disorders. One can be very introverted and one can be very extroverted and one can have like allergies to peanuts or strawberries and the others totally fine. She or he can have any, any of those foods. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so those studies are, are out there, you guys. They are studies on identical um, twins who were, in, in different environments or different homes and, and had different exposures to different foods and music. And they showed that different genes were turned on or off based on their environment. Mm. This is so, what epigenetics is about. So let's talk about that because just to clarify, um, epigenetics, you talked about the layer or being above the actual genetics or genetic code or whatever, but I, you touched on something that right there, turning on and off genes, right? It, yes. And is it as simple as that that you can turn on genes and turn off genes or is there is it more complicated than that it's more complicated than that but in in a lay term lay language if we think about our genetics think about it like a cookbook or encyclopedia so all the information is there from a to z in an encyclopedia right or a recipe you have all the recipes in the world yep both good and not so good right so all the recipes are there the way yeah. you make the cupcake or the way you make that particular dish based on the recipes up to you. Mm-hmm. This is what the environment does to our DNA. If you think about the DNA as this encyclopedia of information, it's all there. 
But which recipe you decide to make at which time of your lifetime or day you make is what we see as our genes being turned on or off. So, so let me see if I can think of another analogy. Um, we are all born with the same set of genes, the same set of DNA. That's what humans are, right? Mm-hmm. But, but because of the environment, the diet, your mother's, you know, mental health or emotional condition at that time, when you're born, certain genes are more active. They're all there, but mm-hmm. some genes are more active than others. For example, if your dad is an athlete or a personal trainer, you're going to have genes that are important for muscle development, um, stamina, and and long-distance running, and all those things. So those are going to be more active. I have the same genes, but I'm not utilizing that. My dad is not a personal trainer, so I'm not in the gym, you know, lifting weights. Mm -hmm. But they're there. They're, They're there. They're just inactive or they're dormant. They're not being used. They're not being utilized. Mm, interesting. So the environment. So you t- you talked about a number of different factors that influence environment, right? Obviously, when you're in your mother's womb, there's your mother's, you know, chemistry, biochemistry. Yes. Um, and I don't think we 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 don't pay attention to that mu- very much because most people think that development starts once the baby is out, right? Yes. Yes, I know. And this is a cultural thing too. So so I mentioned that I am from West Africa, Sierra Leone, Fulani, and we have a very different approach to the way we treat pregnant women and, mm-hmm. and, and, and children. So, so, so when you're pregnant, the, you don't do anything. You don't lift a finger. Everybody else does everything for you. Mm-hmm. And, and in other cultures, when you're pregnant, you're very active. You're always doing things. Mm-hmm. And you don't even realize this, but that baby in that womb, they're, ex- they're experiencing different things. The mm-hmm. mother's emotional state, how active she is, I mean, you think when you're moving around, the baby is like in there. They're feeling the movement too. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so we don't think about that. The type of music you listen to, the baby's listening to it. The type of food you're eating, she's getting or he's getting it from the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So, so all those play, they're, they're setting like a blueprint for which the genes are going to be like, okay, we're going to be ready when we're out of the womb. So you're setting like a blueprint for what that child's life might be like when they're born. And then you continue to layer on as they, they become toddlers and little kids and, and, and start exploring the world outside the womb. Mm. So this is, this is so fascinating for me because I'm always about us uh, as an individual, we control our destinies. And obviously there's things that we, you know, that we don't have full control over. For example, you can't control somebody else. But you can't control your own diet. You can't control your own environment, who you associate with. So let's talk about some of those factors that you talked about um, or that you brought up. There's obviously the food that we eat, right? Um, The condition when you were in your womb. What other factors influence or what are the top five to 10 factors that influence epigenetics? If there's there's ones that you can list. Oh, wow. So... You're right. This is a good, this is a good point. When I say environment, that, that's a very broad, very broad definition, right? So if we think about the food you're eating, that's one. The water you're drinking, um, coming from a third world country, clean water and the quality of life is, is, is very poor in it, where I come from. So the water you drink, 
Um, did you grow up in a rural area like farmlands? I I've, I grew up in a village with a lot of farms and potatoes. So I was like, I would dig up my own cucumbers and things like that. I would eat a lot of vegetables. I never ate processed foods until I came to America. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you sleep, the house, the kind of house you live in, these are all environmental factors. Um, um, the type of people that are around, are they always nagging or yelling and saying, kids are no good? That that affects your your mental, you know, attitude towards life. So that's that's another environment that's very important. In utero, when the child is, is in the womb, you as the mother has the responsibility and also the husband and all the people in the family to make sure that whatever you're being exposed to as a pregnant person is going to affect the the developing baby. So so those are all categories of environment. If you're in a workspace, you as a CEO, you are in your office type of environment is that whole building is that co-workers are they nagging are they positive are they optimistic do you have ones who are like always like complaining all the time or ones who are just like we're here to get the work done and we prioritize this this and that so all those are things that play into um our genetics the environment not just what we eat not just what we drink not just what way we live but but how we interact with our external um surroundings Basically, how we live, right? How we live, exactly. And and you may be surprised to to think about this other part of the environment too. But it's internal. Your mm-hmm. your your emotional state is an environment for yourselves. When you're happy, and you are just in this positive and energetic state of of being, you're less likely to be susceptible to an infection. Because your cells are literally vibrating at a frequency of being happy and in a positive energy. So, so you don't, you don't even think about the trillions and trillions of cells inside your body, but that is an environment that is an internal environment for them, right? You, you may ignore your boss that's nagging you, but you cannot ignore how you feel inside and, and those cells react to the environment that they're in. In grad school, I did experiment using cell cultures. If you grow the cells in a media that's contaminated with something else, they don't grow very well. The environment that those cells are in tells them, this is not a good space for us to thrive and prosper, so we're just going to die. So they go to apoptosis, program cell death. So, mm, so Interesting. So if we can study the cells, how they behave, we can understand how we as human beings interact with our environment. It's very, it's very profound and it's very interesting. And I feel, I feel like many of us take for granted that we are a walking like factory of, of cells and organs and that we have to be conscious about the environment within us and, and, and what we, and what we bring into that environment, what we drink, what we eat, what we think, all those affect us internally. And, and, have you done any studies yourself when it comes to affect or emotions and and disease or how it impacts genetics? So during my graduate studies, I studied uh, one particular disease, that one particular gene that was linked to cause intellectual disability. I couldn't see the patients. So what we did was we developed model system, model organisms, where we take that one gene out of the mice and the fruit flies or other living organs, organisms. So, so as a 
PhD, I don't have the qualifications to go see those patients. But we can study that one gene that's been removed in that environment of all the other genetic content in 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 that patient, for example, in the mouse, because we couldn't go and take the genes out of the patient. They don't have it already. So we can use model organisms to study um, genetically linked diseases and disorders. So that's what my background is on. So I was able to show biologically in a laboratory setting that when you take away this one gene, you had a plethora of other um, neurological disorders that the fly and the mice exhibit. So that was my my introduction to genetics and, and how um, one gene can, can cause a specific disease in the human brain, for example, in our case, intellectual disability. But so in that... So in, in that example, right, because someone might be listening and saying, okay, well, doesn't that prove that genes cause disease? What you're showing, though, is yes. that you could turn that gene on or off or make it active or not active. That cause, so, And then those act, that activity, whether it's on, causes those diseases? Yes. So this falls in perfectly to my first statement with the 2%, almost 2% of the genes being linked to specific disease. This was one of them. Where, where in the thousands of genes that we have, oh, right? Okay. I was studying one gene that was linked to one disease. Got it. And we can see that genetically. Like we have the d- genetics of all the families with the disease, and we can see the genetics of all the family without the disease. Mm. So we were able to go into the mice and take away that one gene and see that only the brain was affected. Interesting. So you were on that that less than 2% side when it comes to genetics, studying yes. that in terms yes. of that. And on the other end of the spectrum, I studied other genes where you had a lot of different causations and links to other diseases, but it wasn't the cause. So this is where I'm saying environment also plays a role, right? So when you have one gene, one disease, that falls into the 2%. When you have one gene and a thousand different diseases then you know that one gene did not cause all those different diseases. Yes, yes, it has yes. to be something else. The other environment, yeah, that makes sense. Now, you talked about something. Now, we're kind of geeking out onto the, the science element here. But again, this is a real-life practical, uh, you can say, episode for people to take into consideration their health and ultimately their performance. Because I know there are many people out there that they cannot maximize their performance. They can't maximize their potential because one of the biggest things I hear the most is, well, they're just, they're not at full capacity when it comes to energy or their emotional state or something else inside of them that is stopping them from performing at their peak level. And a lot of people just cop out. And we're here to say that you have control over a lot of those factors that impact your performance. So coming back to this, you talked about, um, can you pronounce it again? Is it apoptosis? Apoptosis. Apoptosis. Apoptosis or um, a programmed cell death is when a cell just gives up. It's like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to die. And and what happens is this sacrificial dying or cell death is that if there are other cells around, who are like, oh, we're going to hang around. The one that performs the apoptosis provides nutrients to the ones that are living. So it's almost like uh, altruist, altruistic death. But but the cells mostly just undergo apoptosis because there's a trigger for them too. The environment is not conducive to living 
Or if they die, the ones that are like hanging on and struggling may make it. Mm. Is that is because I've heard of the term ghost cells, for example. Is that what they mean? Like these dead cells that are kind of floating around and not doing anything? Is that is that kind of the sa- similar terminology? No, ghost cells and cells that are undergoing apoptosis might not be the same thing. It's weird to admit this, but I've never heard of ghost cells. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I think it's one of those terms that are being thrown around. But because I, when people talk about fasting, for example, they talk about fasting um, enables, and I forgot the term of it, um, but the ability to basically take up those dead cells that are in your body and actually utilize them, right, for better good. Yeah, so... Um, when I think about fasting or intermittent fasting, I think about you giving your body's time to catch up with all the food and nutrients that it has. So so sometimes the cells under extreme conditions where you are starving, the cells do go under um, apoptosis where they're going to kill themselves to provide amino acids and nutrients for other cells to, to take up. So that's like in extreme cases. But for fasting, um, I, I find intermittent fasting very healthy. I I practice intermittent fasting myself and it just gives your body the time to catch up your digestive system and all the metabolic pathways that have to happen for you to get the nutrients out of the foods that you've eaten or the, you know, drinks that you've drank or in other cases for your body to process all the non-healthy and toxic stuff out of your system. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so you t- you kind of talked about it indirectly, but let's talk about the impact of stress. Yes. Oh my gosh, gosh. Stress is one of those stimulus, environmental stimulus that also affects your epigenetics. Um, also affects your genetics, which is part of the epigenetics paradigm. So so we are um, genetically designed to to deal with stress. There is healthy stress and unhealthy stress. The healthy stress is the one that gets you out of the bed in the morning and says, I got to get this podcast. I got to get this book done. I'm going to do it. Like there is that healthy amount of, of push to get things done. And then there is the detrimental kind of stress where you're just in- incapable of moving. You're almost paralyzed by it because it's, it's so stressful. You don't even want to think about it. And so you have to figure out a way to, to manage or actually realize this is kind of healthy kind of stress, I need to get going, or this is debilitating stress, I need to stop, figure out what the cause is, and try to mitigate it. And so stress is, I, in my personal opinion, I'm not an expert in this field, the number one cause of, of disease and cancer. When, when you are under stress, your cells literally cannot divide properly. They're not synchronized. They're not, what's the word I'm looking for? Synergy. They're not synergistic. Because the, the things are not flowing properly. There's like a kimping in your flow of energy and, and cell mobility. And so for you to get figure out, first of all, what the kimping is and then get rid of it, that's how I think most of us can navigate through stress. Most people who are stressed react very negatively to the tiniest little infringement on their personal, um, you know, personal conditions or, or, or well-being or whatever it is that you're in. And so if you can figure out what's causing you that stress, that's the first step. Cause then you could say, you know, you're not welcome here. You just, you, you don't, you don't belong in this environment. I want a healthy epi, epigenetics. So bye-bye stress. It's easier said than done. 
it's easier said than done. And and many of us know, we know stress is bad for us. Mm-hmm. But we're just like, well, how how can I get out of it? I mean, it's part of life, you know? And it, it's true. It's part of life. There's good kind of stress and, and, and bad kind of stress. But you have to be aware and be able to recognize that you are not going to let it ruin your health. Like that is, that is a profound realization for, for many of us. And we feel helpless about it. We feel completely helpless about the stress that's affecting our health. And this is where I say, no, you are not. You are not prone to be more stressful than I am. No matter how busy or how many things you have, you know, or how important you feel in the world, you're not prone. Your genetics do not dictate how much stress you, you are supposed to have per deep. So, so I argue with anybody who says that. And you can remove yourself from whatever stressful situation you are in, mentally, emotionally, or physically. You have legs. Trees don't have legs. They cannot move. If there is a fire, for example, the trees cannot just jump and run away, right? They're, they're rooted in that spot. But we have an advantage. We can literally walk away, put on our headphones, and says, I don't need to be in this toxic environment right now. Mm-hmm. And then this, the same with our mental state. If you're continually in this vicious cycle of just, I'm thinking about this and then it's making me stress and I'm making mo- myself more stressed, just stop the cycle. Listen to some music or The Lion King or something and just take your mind away from it mentally and see how you feel. There's a, there's a couple of things or a number of things that you said there. And I think it's very important because we're, we're, you as a scientist are talking about things like frequency. You're talking about things like vibration. Vibration. <laughs> You're talking about things such as, you know, things being coherent or synchronized, right? These are, yes. yeah. And, and, and these are typically terms, and I'm not going to say terms, but you can say themes that have been talked about in Eastern philosophical teachings, meditation, mindfulness, for example, right? The fundamental principle of, of you know, a lot of these teachings is that we're energy and because we're energy, we vibrate a certain frequency. And, and when things don't go right or when we're stressful in life, then our frequencies get thrown off. It's interesting to hear you as a scientist talk about this. Yes, I know. I'm shocked at myself. So so this is this is probably unique. It's not unique to me, actually. I, I follow other scientists who have this sense of spirituality and, and a scientific um, convergence, right? Mm-hmm. So So... There are some things science cannot explain. Mm-hmm. And and many people, the general public, think all things can be explained by science. Some things cannot be explained by biology, quantum physics, um, mathematics, or any other scientific arena that you can think of. And this is where spirituality comes in. And I personally believe spirituality and science are almost in um parallel they they yeah. complement each other uh, and if if you use some of the terms that you use in quantum physics for example vibrations and and energy and and all those things when you talk about meditation and and eastern philosophy teachings and things like that you hear the same words mm-hmm. you know thought a thought is a vibration when you have a thought you send it out into the ether that thought is vibrating at a frequency and someone else may have the same thought, and then you have convergence of those same two thoughts. And then all of a sudden, you're having a conversation with that person. I feel like that's how we connected on the ether. 
I had a thought about the complete man. I was reading about it and I sent it out there and I connected with you. And mm -hmm. we're here today having this conversation about frequency and energy and vibration. And, and as a scientist, I tend to keep this to myself a little bit because there are some things that cannot be explained scientifically. Yeah, and I and I'm completely on the same path. I believe that science and spirituality are at an intersect point right now. Yes. And over the last decade, there's a lot more research coming out. Like you know, people used to think that meditation was just kind of this foo foo stuff, uh, but now it's been shown that it can actually anatomically change your brain and brain structures and so forth. So talk about yes. epigenetics, right? Talk about yes. things being able to this change. Is the environment when you are in a meditative state, that's a set a type of environment that you're setting for your brain waves. Mm. Your, your brain waves or brain frequency is very, very unique when you are in a meditative state mm. versus when you are in a concert, a concert, yeah. for example, and, <laughs> and you are in loud music, just everybody's screaming, or you're in a quiet, mental, meditative state. Your brain reacts differently to those environments. Yep. Absolutely. That's epigenetics. So you yeah. can intentionally choose to bring your brain waves, brain patterns, activity to a meditative state and relax. And then go on your day. And and just uh, just on a side note for the listeners, I think it's really interesting because people, when they think of meditation, they think of someone being in a um, cross-legged position, sitting on the ground, eyes closed. And, st and it's really interesting when you hear true practitioners of meditation from thousands of years ago. And this is the true element or the true journey of meditation is when you can walk around without having your eyes closed and so forth and still be able to vibrate at that frequency. Yes. That's ultimately what they say is true meditation, that you're, you're, you're displaying and you're projecting this vibration that is similar to that, or if not the same state as a meditative state. And this is why when some people come into, um, you, just some people come into your space, your personal space or the room or whatever it is, you might not even see them, but you can sense them. You can feel them. Yeah. They, you can, can they have a vibe or you, you, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. So here we have a scientist again, <laughs> uh, you know, very much, it sounds like believing in these elements as well. Yes, because I practice them. I am a scientist at the core. So in the scientist world, there's a scientific method. You have a hypothesis. You can test that hypothesis. So instead of me going on and saying to you, Pradeep, you know, if you do this, it will work. I did it myself. I did it myself. I would literally just take deep breaths and mentally count from like one to 50 or one to a hundred and I can feel my brain activity, the, like my brain frequency slowing down. And when it slows down, I feel more relaxed, more meditative, so if you will. And while doing this, I'm in lab doing experiments. Mm -hmm. So, so I am a researcher by training. So I could be doing experiments, but I am in a calm and meditative state where I'm actively aware of what I'm doing, but I'm not there. It's not affecting what I'm what is inside my head internally or emotionally, what I'm emoting. So, so I'm a walk, I'm a walking, uh, uh, Zen scientist because I, <laughs> I've, I've learned how to tap into that part of my brain and anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Mm, that's very fascinating. So practice. Yeah. 
Where do you think we are going now with science uh, when it comes to epigenetics? What do you think is going to be the next kind of big breakthrough? Because there's so much research out there now. There's a lot of things that, and a lot of technology, for example, that people are are creating uh, out there when it comes to epigenetics. So what do you think is going to be the next big thing in epigenetics? That's a great question, Pradeep. I wish I knew the answer. And I'm going to say the sky is the limit, right? If If... We can use all this technology and advances in science from as long ago before we even accepted the term um, epigenetics. We can help improve our lives, our health, and how we actually interact with the environment. I'm a huge, I'd be accused of being a tree hugger <laughs> because I, I, I love the environment. I, I love the idea of taking care of something that's going to affect us in a good way having clean air, planting trees. I've done that. So so I can see the future of medicine and science advancing to unproportional levels if we can have this accepted belief or knowledge that science and spirituality and the energies between us and our environment, there is a direct link. There is a direct link. And I feel... Personally, physicians, especially in the medical field, if they would get that ex- that component of like human spirituality and and energies being out there, they can become more effective healers. Mm, they can, interesting. They can, they can help implement those technology in a really good way, especially if they understand how the brain works, because it's really hard to convince someone of an idea or concept without having them experience it. So 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 this is one of the 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 challenges of having all this technology and science and understanding out there. There's so much knowledge out there. It's just a matter of who's willing to appropriate it and use it. It's almost like what what I feel like will or may happen just based on my perception is that hopefully we can either go down well, you know one of two paths. We get so technologically advanced that we just screw ourselves and we just think that it's all based on technology or we get advanced enough to realize, and I think this is what will happen, hopefully, is that nature has a big impact on us, our health, our well-being, and our, our basically survival as human beings. And I think we will go back to thousands of years ago when we were more, you could say, balanced with nature, but maybe more from a scientific perspective now. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I like the second option more. This is the optimist in you that I gravitate towards. And and I hope for the sake of humanity that we do. And I think we will. There are so many people out there who are doing great things, you know, where nature and nurture and science, you know, come together. So I think I think you're right. There is there is a lot of hope that we can use this advances in technology to reconnect with our nature and, and, and natural roots. Because it it will be the the salvation that we need as as a human as a human you know entity as human beings. Humanity needs to reconnect with nature. That's my my lesson for for today. Okay, I love it, and I think that's a great way to kind of close out here because you've gone through and you've talked about the science element. You saw, we talked about epigenetics. We talked about the importance of paying attention to your environment. And I think yes. that's ultimately, if I'm going to sum it up here, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Minta, for for joining us today, uh, because it's been a real pleasure. We're going to have you on again. I'm sure of that, because 
I think I think people are going to be super curious about this. Um, but I want to wrap it up for you out there who is who is tuning into this. Again, why are we talking about this? Your health is the number one thing that that is the biggest component of wealth. Right? It doesn't matter how much money you have, because at the end of the day, if you don't have your health, it's worth nothing. And this goes back to that old saying, and I don't know where it comes from or who said it, but they talked about a man who is healthy has a thousand wishes, but a man who is unhealthy has but one, right? And what is that wish? It's to be healthy. Health. Right. And so this is really, really important. At the end of the day, you want to live a long, fulfilling, healthy life. Um, so again, Dr. Benta, thank you for joining us here. And I appreciate all your wisdom that you shared with us, with thank us today. You. Thank you, Pradeep, for having me. I was happy to share with you what I could. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share this episode with your network. 